to tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss Detroit, claustrophobia, and Keanu Reeves. I don't want to waste one minute, so let's get right into it. My guest today is an essayist and critic based in Chicago. She's currently a staff writer at Vulture and has written for a variety of publications, including the New York Times, The Atlantic, RogerEber.com, The Village Voice, and of course, the outline, I'm talking about Angelica Jade Bastien. Angelica, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited because we have, so you've written for us a, a handful of times and mm-hmm. early on uh, we had a conversation and we had like, and I'm not going to talk about this right now. I will, we will get into it later, but I started like bitching about the Marvel uh, films and you were like, yeah. oh yeah, I hate those. And I was like, oh my God, you're my new best friend. Like you totally get it. And very few people actually say that those movies are bad publicly. I feel like it's like un, it's an uncool opinion to have, which is weird because they're the most popular movies in the world. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird, <laughs> I, uh, it's nothing, nothing's new under the sun <laughs> because it, the exact same conversations I've had about the characters I'm having about the, the movies. And <laughs> I mean, when you just look at the Marvel movies on a baseline level of how they're made, they're not good movies narratively character wise cgi you mean like just as a film like they're not a good yeah just as a film i don't think they're memorable that's a strong statement i mean honestly i can't remember any like i have seen of course i've seen all of them because like i'll watch them once they are out on like you know vod or whatever but i honestly can't remember what happens in which of the movies like if you told me the plot of iron man 3 right now i'd be like i guess that's what happens but it wouldn't stand out to me you know well, they kind of blend in partially on purpose because they're treated as sort of interlocking puzzle pieces, always, you know, promoting the next film that's going to come out as well as the film you're watching doing its own thing. Right. So it's easy to get them really mixed right. up. It's like basically just fan service. Like every movie is just like, oh, my God, they just showed like in the last one, right? Or in Civil War, I, I can't remember which one it was, but they showed like Spider-Man for a minute and people were like, oh, my God, yeah. Spider-Man. And like then yeah, they could- it's like. You know, I get why fan service works, and it's, you know, I don't begrudge anyone for enjoying these movies, but I think it's important to discuss how they fail on a base level of film. Their filmmaking behind these movies, they're just not good. Like, visually, they're very flat movies. Yeah, they really are. But do you feel differently about the, not to get right into this, I mean, not to get into this particular conversation, but, like, do you feel differently about the the DC movies or do you feel the same way about them? (laughs) Okay. So the thing is with the DC movies, I, in my head, I always kind of think of it like the Marvel movies are very, very almost aggressively boring. Like to the point where to say you hate them seems almost like too much. Cause it's like, they're not doing enough for you to even hate them. But (laughs) the DC movies, yeah, they're just neutral to me. Like they, you know, I get them mixed up in my head. They bore me overall. There maybe have been like a few moments in some of the movies and I'm like, huh, but I never really want to revisit them, which always says a lot to me about a movie. Right. With the DC movies, especially Batman versus Superman, I'm still not sure if that was like a real movie or a fever dream I had. Right. It is like those movies are just like 
They're bad. I mean, they're aggressively bad. Yeah, they're like, but they're also strange. They're very strange. Like, who decided to cut a movie like this? Or, <laughs> you know, they're far more distinctive. Yeah. But they're also bad. Like, 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 and like, weird. like Batman versus Superman, in my memory, is like the Battlefield Earth of like super. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever seen Battlefield Earth, but like, yeah. you know, it's like epically, like everything about it is like they shot it all at Dutch angles. Like, I don't know if you remember it, yeah. but like the whole, like 75% of Battlefield Earth is like Dutch angles, which for people who d- are listening who don't know what a Dutch angle is, it's like when an angle, it's like a shot on like a when the camera's like tilted. So it's like for evil characters, they use it all the time because it looks like deranged. But like the whole movie's like that. And like Batman versus Superman was like, here's $200 million to like, I mean, I wouldn't call it experimental or anything, but it's like $200 million to make like, it's so bad. It's almost like a student film in some ways. No, it's just really strange to me. I mean, that's all I kept thinking after I watched it. Like, this is such a weird movie for something that a studio is sinking so much money into because it like makes no sense and i kept wondering so who's the audience for this is it really diehard fans because if it was diehard fans they'd write the characters differently right and if it's like new fans then you're like and you're introducing all this weird cryptic stuff that only like really hardcore dc fans are gonna like recognize right like and not like i like the stuff that I recognize, but I was just like, no one's gonna know what this is or why we should care about these random dreams that like yes, Batman was the having. Dreams, was the like, dream, oh the dreams were insane. I was like, wait, wait, what? Hold on, he's having dream sequences in the movie now. Like, but this is also like in Suicide Squad, they did the same thing where like they have those those scenes with the Joker that are like mm-hmm. and Harley Quinn, where it's like they're they're related. I guess maybe I saw the extended version because I watched it once it was like available to like rent mm-hmm. or whatever. But like they have these like extended sequences of like backstory that are horrible for like a whole bunch of reasons. But also like what person watching this would be like, oh yeah, let's take a break from the current action and see some backstory as to like the Joker's relationship with his girlfriend or whatever, or like how, why Harley yeah. Quinn is so fucked up. And then but Batman does this. Batman vs Superman does the same thing. Sorry, not to go. We're going in a way down a rabbit hole on this, but like yeah, when he has like, the first so dream sequence, it's crazy. Yeah, it's like out it of is nowhere. Crazy. And so, like, I don't remember which order they're in. Oh my God, that movie is just has so many weird tangents that seem like they're all unnecessary. It's like the tangent where we see Bruce Wayne's parents die again. Like we don't know how they die, right. and then it's his weird dream, and the one where. Like, you see all these weird flying things. Those, like, from the comics, those are dark-sized minions. So he's going to, like, pop up eventually in the movies. But I was like, no one is going to recognize what this is. Right. It's, like, so total fan service. Point? But it's also, like, does a total disservice to the film itself as you're, like, getting into the universe. That's the thing that I was like, oh, so it's old Batman. And I think they're kind of saying that, like, was there a Robin and Robin is dead? Like, don't they? Yeah, which is happened. Yeah. Obviously. No, it happened. But it's like, hey— you just inter- so you're not. It's not Christopher Nolan's Batman anymore. Which, by the way, like that's fine. Would, like yeah, do a new thing. Do your thing, but, but really like, do a new thing, right? But so then, yeah, it's so crazy. And the dream sequences are so insane. Like they're all presaging the Justice League movie. And it's like you know the people need to enjoy this movie, right? Like they. Well, yeah, it's such a problem. I'm like, you're not letting anybody get invested in what we're actually seeing on screen. So it's it's. I think it's a failure. In a lot of ways, but they're kind of fascinating ways they're, to me. Yeah, they're I still like, aggressively, can't believe it's a real movie. They're aggressively bad, like Battlefield Earth. Okay, one thing about the the Batman vs Superman movie that I want to talk about, and then we we should move on. Um, are you familiar with the Doomsday uh, like backstory, like the original backstory? 
Right. That's yeah. the name of that's the name of the 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 villain at the end or the monster at the end that kills that kills Superman. Right. It's Doomsday. Yeah. Yeah. It's Doomsday. But the real Doomsday backstory. Yeah, his original backstory is really awesome. I'm not going to go into it, but he's a really awesome backstory, and they completely ruined it. That's the thing. It's, if they're doing fan service, like you already said this, like they'd write the characters differently, but they literally take like one of the best backstories ever from that universe, and they made it into this dumb, like whatever happens with like Lex Luthor seems so ridiculous. That was so. And, and <laughs> well, like, I totally like, forgot Lex was in that. Yeah, oh my god! And I he's like, and he's like, I'm going to create this creature using like my DNA and the and like. Kryptonian DNA and it's like what what's happening like why dude yeah. and like why does the ship allow that to happen there he it has like a setting that he can do that it's like why would that be a thing okay no. anyhow I mean we're, we're obviously rehashing something that's already been panned by every critic in the world yeah, but like, it's like yeah. it's not like anybody's like that's actually a great movie um, although it was a huge hit so that says something about but I mean all these movies make a lot of money I mean, because they're aggressively marketed, right? And people like familiarity, and that's why we kind of end up seeing those movies, right? So, you know, it would take I think not just one, but more than one of these movies tanking terribly for Hollywood to even think, oh, maybe we can just do a standalone, or maybe we should experiment more with these characters since people will go to these movies anyway. Yeah, they're so. I mean, they're so uh, predictable. I mean. I do wish, like, in some way that they weren't trying to lump all of it into, like, if I feel like if they spent this kind, if they did, like, what Game of Thrones is doing, I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones or not, but, like, if they did what Game of Thrones has done for those books with these characters on television, it would be kind of amazing, right? Like, to see it evolve over seven years or something. I feel like film mm. is so limiting for comic characters. You disagree? I, d I don't, actually. So I think there's certain stories and certain characters that could be very well suited to you know following them throughout various stories but i actually am a huge fan of just a good standalone hmm, interesting good standalone really you don't like it you don't Mr. like a miracle you don't like a serialized extended seven year I journey i mean i can but i also really like you know the very short uh, miniseries that sometimes happen in comics, like uh, Tom King's uh, version of Vision was really good. Mm. And, you know, you don't need a seven-year saga with if you wanted to adapt that story. So not <laughs> every... Yeah, but maybe they not, would be... But they, in, 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 like, Batman vs. Superman, they probably wouldn't be able to... They wouldn't have to cram so much stuff into, it, like, a two-hour movie. Well, yeah, I mean, I think if... The thing is, what a lot of these comic book movies are doing is they're adapting the gargantuan sort of stories or sort of adapting them. Uh, like they're talking about the first Flash movie, if they'll ever come out, uh, being based on the Flashpoint story, which makes zero, zero, zero sense. But that seems more suited for a TV show because there's just so much going on in that. What's I don't the, know can, how you, that can you give me a recap of what the Flashpoint story is? Okay, so Flashpoint... Uh, sees the Barry Allen character, so the Flash, decide to travel back in time to save his mother from dying. Uh, and what happens is by saving her, he ends up messing up the universe, which is kind of like what he does a lot. Like he travels in time and then screws something up. Mm -hmm. uh, so it ends up creating a completely different version of the DC universe as we know it. And so it actually has a lot of stuff I really like. Um, and so 
for example, uh, what Aquaman and Wonder Woman, along with, you know, their, the various people they represent are in an all out war that is like totally affecting the entire earth. Uh, when it comes to Batman, uh, Bruce is actually the one who died and his father ends up becoming Batman. Uh, Superman doesn't exist how he does in our universe. So earth one, however you want to call it. And so he never landed in Kansas. Huh. And so he was never raised. And so it's the, I think the government ends up finding him. And it's really sad, actually, how Superman's story goes. Well, um, no spoilers, but I'm assuming that. But it's actually he's... really, really fascinating. It's like, it's like the fun, huge, weird sort of story. But I don't know how they could pull that off now and how, you know, the film universe is. Because no one, there's a lot of people who aren't set up already. So how would you even pull that off? Right. Right. You but know, see, that's like, the, so this is my, and I, and this is why I'm saying like a TV show, you could introduce the flash in like season one, two, three, whatever, and then make season four all about the flash, how he like completely fucks up everything. And yes, Ryan, sorry. My there producer. is a flash TV show. And no, I know. all of them are tough stuff. <laughs> I will point out. <laughs> do, they, do they do any of that though on it? Yes, they did have a flash point. That was what happened like last season. Oh, so they did and- it. Yeah, they did it, but of course it's very different because in that version, the CW version of The Flash does not have Batman, Wonder Woman, right. uh, of you know, Superman. It's like, so it's it's like, like the like, Earth is totally different. They're like, but we can't tell you how, but just trust us. It's different. Yeah, so they have like, you know, obviously the Legends of Tomorrow are on the C- have their own CW show, and then they have their Walmart Batman is how I call him, uh, Arrow, and I'm uh, Green Arrow, which is a character I love in the comics. But for the TV show that he, they have, he obviously is like their version of Batman because they couldn't get Batman. So they decide, oh, well, here's another rich white man. Let's just somehow make him more of a Batman broody figure, even though Green Arrow is not like that in the comics. He's not a broody, rich, you know, asshole. Um, well, I've he, never, I've know. never seen Arrow, the show. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more uh, from Angelica. We are back. I, I look. I look at. I mean, I see those CW shows, and I'm like, no. Nah. I mean, is, is Gotham a CW show? No, that's a Fox show. Oh my god! Oh what? my god! Like, don't even look at it. Why? Um, but the Flash is actually like. I will say, I still watch it and review it, obviously. But I will say, I think the first season is pretty damn good. Like, just as no qualifiers, is actually just a really fun, propulsive season of television. Hmm. The problem with The Flash is, it's kind of, which happens with a lot of CW shows, they kind of realize what formula works for them, and then they sort of, like, replicate it does, a lot. Did CW, <laughs> so do, they don't, did CW do Riverdale? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That is a mm. CW show. What do you think about Riverdale? Oh, I love Riverdale. Really? I love them crazy kids. Really? I don't know, man. It felt so much like a TV show to me. I was like, 
This just feels like a TV show. I love those ridiculous, no teenager looks like this. No teenager (laughs) is talking about Montgomery Cliff. Like, okay, yeah. Yeah, Are they all watching like Turner classic movies? I don't understand. All the teenagers have like furs and shit and like, what? They're like wearing high heels and like taking a limousine to school. It's like, come on, guys. This oh no! I love that. It's so like ridiculous and like broad and over the top, and it's like it has this broody voiceover from Jughead that's straight out of a noir. It's so ridiculous, but I I love it. I yeah, mean, see, I, I thought gotta, it was gonna be darker. Yeah. Like I kind of was like the ads for it. I was like, oh, this is like teen twin peaks i was like cool idea <laughs> and then like i watched it and i was like uh this is just like a teen show with like a little bit of murder maybe hanging around somewhere in the edges no i think it becomes like did you watch the whole season no god i watched two episodes and i was like no oh no I'm it's out. like uh, so one of my favorite characters is cheryl blossom because she's like pretty much ripped from like a gothic like drama and, like, her whole storyline is so ridiculous. But so it's such a mishmash of genres. So it has, like, this heavy noir influence. You have a bit of the gothic drama romance vibe from her character. And then, obviously, it's, like, this campy touch. I don't know if they know what they're doing, but yeah. I kind of love it. Interesting. Okay, so you recommend Riverdale. That's a shocker. Mm-hmm. I did not see that coming. All right, let's yeah. pivot here a little bit for a minute. I want to get into some serious stuff. Because the, oh, com- okay. the comic stuff is slightly less serious, I think. Um, you did a review of Detroit, the film Detroit, which is Catherine Bigelow's new movie. Um, Catherine Bigelow, who directed uh, Zero Dark Thirty, and uh, why am I blanking on her? Oh, Hurt Locker. And, and Point Break. And Point Break, and, which is an awesome movie, and near, near, near Dark. And I don't know if you're a Near Dark fan or not, but... I love Near Dark. I actually like a lot of her earlier work. It's what's been going on the last few years that it's just like, huh. Yeah, she's, like, pivoted okay. to, like, weird propaganda in some way. Like, a Hurt Locker, I feel like, is really proper. It's like Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, I feel like, come off as very, like, U.S. propaganda in some yeah. way. But um, Near Dark's an amazing film, which I had seen part of... A while ago, and then I finally rewatched the entire thing. And it's like, I mean, it's sort of not good, but it's amazing. Like, you can tell the person who who made that film is like, has an eye for things that other people would never notice. It's really kind of an impressive, and also like, it's just like Southern vampires, like, you can't go wrong. Yeah, it's great. Um, but you see, so you did this review of Detroit, and I read it, and I was like, damn, like, holy shit, like, this is no joke, like, you really did not like this film. I, I wrote, like, I actually, like, took a couple quotes and, like, did a quickie post on the outline just because I was like, this is so good and everybody should read it. And, like, can you talk about that review and, like, first off, like, talk about the film and that review and then uh, I'd like to hear, like, how the reaction has been from, like, you know, from other people in the space, like, because I know there's been a pretty strong reaction to your review. Yeah, sure. So I ended up, you know, seeing, I think it was on a Wednesday, I saw Detroit, and then I had the review due Thursday, so I really didn't have time to process it completely. Um, I always think it's better to sit with the film, but when I saw it, I have never wanted to walk out of a movie as badly as I wanted to walk out of that one, but I couldn't because I obviously was writing the review for RogerEbert.com, I felt nauseous watching the movie. I was crying a lot. And when I got out, I just felt really angry and felt like it was almost like I felt it's really hard to put into words how angry and saddened I was by that movie. I was, you know, I came into it thinking, okay, I don't know how this is going to go, you know, but I did not expect to have 
such a visceral reaction to it, like on a physical level too. Like I felt nauseous. Um, and why? And I, I mean, what, what about like, I mean, you say this in your review, but like, I'm just curious, like at what point did you realize, I guess, like, okay, this is not the film I thought it was going to be, or that this is not like, let me, let me actually, can I, can I read a quote from your review? Sure. Um, you said it wasn't the relentless violence inflicted upon black bodies or the fiery devastation of the riots ripping apart Detroit, but the emptiness behind these moments that got under my skin. Can you like talk about that? I mean, cause I, my takeaway from your review was you felt like the view, like the gaze of the film was like kind of like damaged from the start, like had a kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. And you know, a lot of people asked me, in the wake of the review, oh, do you think it's Mark Bowles' influence on Bigelow's work? Um, because her work has taken a shift since collaborating with him, and he's someone who's very interested in violence, not the aftermath of it, but how it happens, and like taking a very close eye to it. And that was partially my problem with the movie, but the other part is how the violence is shot is unflinching and sort of dehumanizing. Mm. especially because I kept tracking what, um, you know, a lot of black people were seen beaten or in some cases killed. And when we would see their bodies afterwards, you really, you usually didn't really get a good view of their faces. So it felt very anonymous at certain points, mm. um, it, which it, really bothered me. Something And something that you, you wrote about was this, um, this kind of idea of like depicting violence against black people without sort of seeming to understand or explore like where the violence is coming from or why it happens or the sort of systemic nature of it, which I thought was really interesting because you feel like this film has got to be about the systemic, the kind of underlying nature of this kind of violence, that particular um, moment in history. But yeah. you think, but it feels like, but, but to you, it felt like it, it, it was... I mean, this is not a question of research, is it? It's a question of, like, how you tell that story, right? It is a question of empathy, in right. my opinion. Right. Um, and, you know, early in the film, obviously it builds to the point where you get to Algiers, the uh, hotel that they're in, where you have this extended, like, 40-minute sequence of black men being brutalized. But before then, you know, she tries to give our... Catherine Bigelow and Mark Bowl focus a bit on what was going on in Detroit at the time. And it was just so telling that the black people and their anger, they're very much framed as just like common criminals. Like it doesn't really talk about, it doesn't really get deeply into, so why are they so angry? But we see a lot of them looting and like all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's a choice. Right. Uh, and just felt really dishonest historically. It felt... I felt it lacked any sense of morality. I felt as a film, the directorial choices made were also very dehumanizing. So it's not, it's like on multiple levels, the film just does not work. And, you know, people keep saying, oh, but it's starting a conversation. Who is it starting a conversation for? And what is this conversation? Right, right. You need to be giving us more. If you're going to be showing black people brutalized so, you know, for a 40 minute sequence of it. Right. Unflinching. And, and it terrible. is terrible. And it is like a you know, it's like a white screenwriter, white director kind of coming to this story and and it is like, oh yeah, let's uncover this or let's showcase this so the world can know. And it's like, well, there's a big portion of the world, the world that actually experiences this still, 
right? That's yeah. like they know, right? And so that that exactly. view that view is 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 I mean, you have to to me it's like to just start the project at all. Like if I'm Catherine Bigelow, I'm like, okay, there's a lot of stories I can tell. Like what story am I uniquely position to tell like is this the one that is like needs my voice in it or needs my view versus like i mean i do feel like there are ways to do it i think you can make an I argument so i mean there like you can talk i mean there obviously has been a ton of conversation about the this hbo show confederate and like <laughs> having the showrunners yeah. from from uh game of thrones doing it and it's like there's a lot of obviously necessary debate about who should tell a story and why you tell a story and like you know, there's, I mean, you know, given the last like 72 hours in America, I think it's like a really obvious like time to talk about privilege and like the, 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 the view that privilege gives you. Like you do see yeah. this kind of blind, this massive blind spot. I, I, and by the way, I'm not making an argument like that those guys shouldn't do Confederate. Like I think, I mean, there are arguments to be made. I think there's, there's, I'm not like, let's wait and see. I do think there's something really flawed about the approach that like, they have this idea that they want to take a look at it. And so like, they think they're best the best people to kind of like tell uh, that story. It's also just strange. Like, you know, they can do anything they want in the wake of game of Thrones. And this is what they do. I don't know. That just seems something about it. It's just, hmm. it's, it feels you know, like almost opportunistic in a way. Yeah. It's right? just very strange. You know, also one of the things that people kind of hinged upon in my review, which I find fascinating because it ends up telling me they stopped reading it very early on is that I end up saying, you know, because of my reaction to the film, you know, I say watching Detroit, I realized that I'm not interested in white perceptions of black pain. I never once actually say I think that white writers and directors cannot touch stories that deal with black history and black struggle. But that's how my review has been construed as. Right. Which is very upsetting. It's especially upsetting to get it from critics. It's one thing to have these racist trolls calling me all these terrible names or people undermining my intelligence. I'm used to that. I'm a black woman. I have thick skin. But to see critics I respect completely misrepresenting my review to make some sort of weird point, that has that's what's pissed me off in the wake of this review. Has there been, I mean, I've seen some of the reaction from people on the internet. I mean, has there been I mean, I guess I haven't seen that. I mean, I, what I will say is other critics, I feel like wrote very expected reviews of this film. Like, um, like, oh, you know, like a challenging, you know, like, uh, you know, a raw challenging look at, you know, race in America or whatever. And it's like, okay, but I mean, your review, I actually took away a sense that like, there's like, you show it and tell it and talk about it. And then there's like, you understand it. And the difference between showing it and understanding it, there's a big gap there. Right. And I feel like, has there been, I mean, have you talked to other critics about this? Has there been a response from like other, have yeah. other critics been critical of your criticism of this film? Yes, but the thing is, uh, the critical community, I think is, <laughs> is very strange, is a very strange community to be a part of. And sometimes I feel that, I don't know, they get really threatened by people who don't share their opinion, or if there's more than one black person talking, they get confused or something. I don't understand. But the one that pissed me off that I only discovered recently is I'm a very big fan of the Still Processing podcast at New York Times that Jenna Wortham and Wesley Morris uh, are a part of. And they're two amazing writers, um, two amazing black writers I very much respect. And they did an episode on Detroit. And I decided to listen to it, which <laughs> may have been a mistake because 
they mention my review, although they don't name me, which I find sort of insulting, but I'm going to quote what they said about my review. Oh, wow. You're prepared. It, okay. Oh, yeah, because it pissed me off. Um, so they said, quote, it was Jenna Wortham talking, quote, a critic at RogerEbert.com essentially said that the movie was a travesty, not for the reasons portrayed in the film, but because they never want to see a black gaze on a white gaze on black pain again, sparking this debate about who gets to make what film and whether or not Catherine Bigelow and Mark Bull had the right to make this movie to begin with, or would it have been better, uh, more capable hands, I'm using air quotes here, capable hands in the hands of a black director and a producer. So let me, let me, I'm going to, I tweeted about this, but I'm still mad because, (laughs) okay, because this is condescending. So they're saying that I, I had, I thought the film was terrible, not because of anything that the film actually did, but because I just don't, I feel uncomfortable with white people focusing on black pain. And that's not true. I made sure to back up all my arguments on an aesthetic level with directorial choices in terms of how they shaped history in terms of writing, in terms of what parts of the narrative they decide to skip over. So that's one thing. Do not come at me and say such a thing that misconstrues my work in a way that it makes me sound almost hysterical. Like I'm just running purely on emotion and I have no critical wherewithal. Right. Do you, you you actually, you do think that's what they were saying? Oh, and then yes, because Jenna Wortham kind of chuckled when she said the not for the reasons portrayed in the film. So there was like this hint of, oh, they don't respect my opinion. There right. was just something like very condescending about it. And I was like, well, you either heard this secondhand or you only read like the first few sentences of my review because there's no way you can leave rev- the review and say that, oh, I only hated it because of um, who made it, not because of what they made, because that's not true. Cause then I go on to talk about, of course, white filmmakers can make movies about this sort of stuff. And there are times when there are good movies made by white people who deal with race. One of my favorite noirs from 1959 is odds against tomorrow starring Harry, Harry Belafonte and Robert Ryan, and it's it's a crime story, but it also deals a lot with race, and it's one of the most fascinating movies in American history. Um, Harry Belafonte did produce it, so that's a little different than Detroit, but again, Mm. I think, you know, film is all about collaboration, whose perspectives you're letting inform this work. It's not just about the writer and the the director. Right. So I think it says, you know, a lot about who Bigelow and Bowl chose to collaborate with, on this project, right. um, I don't think them being white necessarily prohibits anyone from being able to tackle these subjects, and I would never make a claim like that as a critic. Right. So I got really angry with people saying that. If you're going to come at me for something I wrote, actually read what I wrote. Right, but do you do you think? I, no, look, I, and I and I and I do think that is like, you know. I think you, the, the review is very even-handed in the sense, like it presents like a pretty logical case for why this is like the wrong way to tell this story, and like through, mm-hmm. through like through the wrong like wrong lens, and not like literally, but figuratively, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, what's interesting is is it, how do you? I mean, if you're a white filmmaker, if you're Catherine Bigelow, and you're really this story feels really important to tell. 
Like, do you just, I mean, I guess the question is like, do you just back away from it? How do you find the right way to tell the story? Or like, what did she miss? I guess if you could say, hey, l- l- you're going to have a do-over, what would you do differently? Is Catherine Bigelow, can she tell this story at all? And if she does, what is it that's missing from the, what is it that she doesn't have now or didn't have now in this version that she should have had to tell the story better? Like, can you, is that something that you've thought about? You know, as a critic, I tend not to think of things like that because with, is, with Detroit, at least, it, it would need to be a completely different movie. The perspective is weird. Its sense of history is off. It lacks empathy. It would be a completely different movie that someone like Bigelow wouldn't make, especially the Bigelow of the last few years, who has a very blinkered perspective in questionable politics while she is also a very propulsive action director, right. which those impulses are kind of, ugh, it, it's kind of queasy to right. have such, um, you know, troubling politics while such, having such a firm hand of creating like this claustrophobia and this intensity. It, it's kind of sickening. So, cause, cause it's not an, I mean, Detroit shouldn't be an action movie. Let's put no, it that way. It right. Like, because no. the violence is, it's not like heroic violence. It's not no. like violence that saves the day. It's not like necessary violence to get like, you know, you could even make an argument. Okay. With Hurt Locker or Zero Dark Thirty, you could be like, okay, well there's, you can justify this violence in some way. You know, there's, I mean, some skewed political justification for it. Whereas like with Detroit, with this scenario that the movie depicts this incident and this, this, I mean, this moment in American history, it's not like you can go, well, this violence is, is, is propulsive because it isn't, it's actually like repellent violence. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't it seen is- it. So I'm at a disadvantage, but, but my takeaway from your review was it doesn't do the job of showing why the violence is repellent and what the underlying motivation of that violence is. Yeah, it's like, oh, they're racist, which is like, yeah, duh, we get that. But I don't think it really says anything about how that sort of racism flourishes or how it's able to kind of continue on. It's like, it's very strangely structured as a movie, too. So it's like, you know, you have this this opening kind of framing the riots and, and the context of what happened at Algiers. Then there's a very long, like, 40 minutes within the hotel. And then there's, you know the rest of the movie, which quickly goes through the trial and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of, it's very weirdly structured. I hmm. also just, you know, on that level, I don't think it's a well-made film in some ways. It's just right. poorly structured. It has no sense of history or not a deep enough sense of history. It doesn't really feel empathetic with its right. characters in the way it should. I mean... So do you get, have you gotten heat from other critics like this for other films? Like you, we were talking before we started and I wanted to talk about this, but you said that you did not like Get Out, which I, now I'll say I have not seen yet. And everybody listening, I'm sure is mad at me right now for saying that I have not had a chance to watch it. I've wanted to like have like the time to really sit down and enjoy it. My, My time has been pretty shitty lately, but but I've heard from everybody I know, like literally from critics I know, but also from just friends and whatever. People are like, oh my God, this movie's so good. My brother-in-law was like, you gotta see it, it's so good. And like, I'm very surprised to hear that you didn't like it. And I would love to know, one, why, and two, what the reaction has been from people when you have, I mean, did you did you do a review of it? Did you review no, it? No, I have not written about <laughs> Get Out 
because <laughs> I did not want to step into that minefield. I know some critics feel like they need to write about everything. I'm not one of those critics. Right. So there's a lot of stuff I just don't write about either because I don't feel I have uh, a well-formed thought. I'm not passionate about it. Or I just feel the blowback would be not worth writing. Right. About, right. Know? It's like you're not going to get out of it as much as like the pain that you're going to get from people yeah. hassling people you after you really write it. really love the film and it's done very well and it's opened up all these conversations about getting more black talent behind the scenes especially. The only thing I wrote about was about the whole thing that happened because of Samuel L. Jackson's comments about black British and black American uh, actors. What did, he, what did he say? Uh, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson's... Um, <laughs> He had an issue with the fact that a black British actor was cast in the lead role as Get Out because he felt that a British man would not understand the particulars of being a black American and how race is in our country well enough to inform the role. But the way he said it was not the way to say it. I'll just say that. Huh, interesting. Yeah. I did not know he said that. And so what, mm-hmm. so, so what, so what bothered you about the film? It's not that, I assume. So well, one, I don't think it's a, a much of a horror film. I keep, you know, horror is a funny genre because there's always arguments about whether or not such and such film is really horror. I don't think Get Out is horror. I love horror. I don't even think it's an effective psychological thriller if you look at it on that level. Really? Uh, yeah. Really? Uh, yeah. Because I because I have heard it described not as a horror. F- I mean, I guess. I mean, I guess what I've heard is like it's horrific. Not necessarily a horror film. Well, I can't spoil it for you, but I okay. will say I hmm, I think people are looking into the race commentary too hard because I actually don't think it's saying either anything trenchant or interesting or meaningful or even that um, important about race, specifically when it comes to black people interacting with liberal wh- white people. Really? Like I, feel like you're, I feel like I'm hearing this review from an alternate universe right now where it's like I know, that's the opposite I, of what I have heard from everybody else. I'm not the only person who feels like that, but the friends I have, <laughs> I have a filmmaker friend who used to be based in uh, Chicago, but now he's moved to Philly. And we ended up having a very long conversation about it. He's also black. And I was like, dude, you know, is it just me or is a conversation around this movie like ridiculous? Like it doesn't, it's yeah. not saying anything. I wow. really don't think it's actually saying anything meaningful outside of maybe like the first few, not even the first few. I do like the opening scene. I think the opening scene is actually really good on a filmmaking level, but the rest of the movie, I actually don't think it's saying anything meaningful about race. When you look at it, I think, uh, the twist, which obviously I won't spoil for you, is sort of outlandish. And the moment it happens, I don't know how you can say that this movie is saying anything meaningful about race. Wow. I have to see Get Out. This is crazy. I like want to see it even worse now because you're saying you didn't really like it. I'll it's probably like, write about it once award season comes out. You, you know, should of definitely. Right? Yeah, I know, you're, I know you're a staff writer at Vulture, but you have a standing invitation to write about Get Out <laughs> at the outline if you want <laughs> to, write your, to write this very unpopular opinion about it. Um, okay, so we have a few more minutes and, and I want to talk about something slightly less heavy because these were both 
They were all type of, except for the Batman versus Superman stuff, which is hilarious to me. Like yeah. this, like Detroit, obviously get out. Like, and I mean, frankly, like you feeling, I mean, about the Detroit review, I am, I am surprised that you got as much heat as you got about the review. Cause I feel like your review had a really well thought out. I mean, it is, a, it was an emotional review. It, like, it was. You definitely I'm were. I'm an emotional critic, though. Like, if you read my writing, I write from a place of passion. So that's not necessarily new. I also am surprised by the response just because I also saw a lot of people I respect subtweeting me. And I'm like, dude, we follow each other. I can totally tell you're talking about me. Like, really? You've been subtweeted recently? Yeah, I think that's so unprofessional. I'm not going to name names, but you, they probably know who they are because oh, it's, wow. like, really weird. But, you know, I don't think anything I said in the review hasn't been said before by black critics. Like, hey, maybe white people need to take a step back and really think about how they make these sort of movies, right? It's the same way that, you know, a woman talking about, um, you know, the all the rape scenes we have to watch that male directors and writers seem a little too obsessed with sometimes. And you're like, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this. Or maybe you should find a better reason to, like, if you're going to do this. So I don't think anything I said was contra- I I don't think it was controversial. No, I didn't but- think it was controversial at all. I mean, I I think the rape parallel is really good. It's like, yeah, it's like if you're gonna do that, like if you're gonna do that in a film, or you're gonna make that like kind of a centerpiece of a story, it's like you better have a really good reason, especially if you're a dude who's like written and directed a film or whatever, and it's like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of rapes in it. It's like, well, why? Yeah, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you showing an extended sequence of this? And there was, you know, I saw a colleague talking about uh, their anger about how they feel like this this modern form of criticism tends to focus too much about, you know, the identity of, like, the writer-director, like, lining up with the person they're writing about and same with criticism like only black critics can write about black movies and all those sort of things and I don't think it's that simple and I don't think anyone is you know I don't think anybody's really suggesting that that would be a terrible way to be a critic and an artist we're just asking that you have a more informed perspective and really sit with and think about why you're making these choices and whether you are saying anything or if you're just reveling in the violence and and you know. Right. It's like, yeah, I'm torn about the debate, the Confederate debate, which I've read a bunch of stuff on and thought about a lot. And on the, at a, at a first blush, I'm like, yeah, like of all the people to do this story, like, are these the guys who should be doing it? And then it's like, well, this is, there is like fertile ground. Yes. Like you could, there are stories to tell in this universe, but it's like how and who, like who tells the stories and how do you tell them? And it's like, why is a big question. Right. And it's like, if it's just because like, we have a shitty president who's racist and now like ra- racism has flared up again in America or is like more visible to people. It's like if it's the your reason is like, wow, what if there was the Civil War had been won by the South? And it's like it just seems opportunistic in a way that is inappropriate. And it's like you got to have a really good reason. If you don't have a really good reason, like why are you doing it? Yeah, I I have no interest in Confederate I can't stand those sort of alternate history stories. I think they're bullshit. I think they're boring. I think they lack imagination. I also like wonder how much of a sense of history people who like think that's a good idea, you know, have. Well, I mean, right. really? That's what you decide to do after Game of Thrones? That? Uh, really? I mean, also, also, yeah, it's like, I mean, there's literally 
men marching down the streets with pitchfork, I mean, with fucking torches, you know, it's like, you don't have to imagine, you know, it's actually yeah. not that good of an imagination to be like, what if racism was still prevalent in the United States? It's like, uh, actually. Yeah, actually, it, motherfucker, I can walk outside my apartment and I experience that. Like, who, right. what? Right, I think exactly. white people are hilarious, to be honest. <laughs> I'm probably going to piss some people off saying that because I get enough hate mails, you know, with people telling me that I hate white people. And I'm like, really? Okay, if that's what you got from what I wrote. Um but sometimes I, I don't know. I think white people just lack perspective in some ways. Overall. I would say I would say as a white person, I feel like I'm I often lack perspective. I think <laughs> like that's definitely true. I mean, the funny thing is, like I I mean, this is so tangential, but but to like what we're talking about. But like I saw somebody somebody tweeted at the outline today or yesterday, and they were like something about like identity politics and oh, like people made it identity politics a thing, and now white people have been forced to reclaim their identity like oh. and this is what, what you get and it's like it's like oh you're so you have such a a poor like view of your own privilege that like you can't see how like your identity and like the identity of people who've been like oppressed and pushed aside are like so unrelated like this is not it's like oh you're talking about being black so now i've got to talk about my european heritage it's like no like that's all that anybody's ever fucking talked about like that's why other people are talking it's like the first time you've heard another voice in the room makes yeah. you bristle it's like you don't know what it's like to have like you don't have any perspective on your own existence you know yeah. anyhow it's just like shit like that is like yeah i mean as a as a white man who's confronted all the time with shit that I don't understand, like, I think it's really good to keep uh, some healthy amount of, uh, like, your mouth shut and your eyes open as much as yeah. possible and your I ears open. I think that's open. important for everybody. You know, obviously, I have my own privileges. I'm able-bodied, of course. Um, I'm in now or soon will finally have health insurance. I, You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know, I'm going to cry. <laughs> that is um, so good. Uh, which means I can finally get back on medication for my bipolar disorder, which is like amazing for me because it's been a struggle to not get proper care. So I, you know, I think it's important for all of us to be very aware of the privileges we do have and how we move through the world and to listen to other people. And I think, you know, with my Detroit review, I just wish that people had better reading comprehension skills, but more importantly, you know, I just, I think my perspective does have value. I think these are important conversations to have. I don't need or even want everyone to agree with me. Uh, but I just want people to engage with my work in an honest well, way. I mean, I think, I think, you I know. I think overall people did. There was just some loud voices that got to me, I guess. Well, I, and I think that, like, honestly, we need, I mean, it's interesting to think about this um, sort of people jumping on the comment about like, you know, you saying that you don't want to see, you know, white people depicting black pain. Yeah. You know, I didn't I, even I think say it, that. I said, I'm not interested personally. I'm right. not interested in watching it. Go ahead. White people have fun. You'll keep but doing I think, it. But I think, think about like in the world of criticism, like how many, how many, um, black female critics are there looking at film right now. I mean, I, to me, I feel like that's probably not a high number, right? Like no, of the percentages of no. critics. It's a small number. I mean, I'm trying and so to I think, feel like you bring yeah. a, you do bring a perspective like that is going to be informed by a lot of other stuff. That's actually really valuable. If we're going to try to widen our perspective on 
what art means. You yeah, know? I mean, this is my perspective as, you know, an Afro-Latina from the South. That informs a lot of my work. That definitely informs stuff like uh, the piece I did on The Beguiled. Um, but it informs everything I do in one way or the other. So, Did you, did you like The Beguiled? Uh, it's a movie <laughs> I'm still sitting with. I did enjoy it. Um, I have to see it again, though. There's stuff. Uh, I had a different perspective than other people's, you know, so how I wrote about it was a little bit different. So, uh, like, I actually I actually heard something. I was listening to a podcast or I read something about the Sofia Coppola in The Beguiled. I mean, this is, like, very relevant to the conversation we've been having. Like, I guess in the original book and the other – the film that was made, I guess, in the 70s, mm-hmm. like, there is a sub – there's, like, plots that have – that are related to slavery, like, in the in the film – that they, I guess they cut out, sorry, in the other film and in the book mm-hmm. that she basically cut out completely. She's like, I don't want this to be about race at all. And so I just want it to be about these people. And it's like, okay, but you said it, it's like a civil war era film in like the South. Like how are you, how can you make a film like that and have it not have that not like your omission of it is almost having it play a role, you know? Well, that's my, I wrote a big piece about the guild where I said, you know, her taking out, you know, in the previous film, there was a black slave character. In the book, there's a black slave character and a biracial character. Um, And I argued that there's no way you can take out race from these stories. It's still present in the film. And I was also kind of annoyed, and I've talked about this obviously in my piece and elsewhere, that, you know, people are so obsessed with auteur theory that they tend to view everything from the lens of that specific director. But I actually think the Beguile accidentally, it's not Coppola's doing, actually ends up saying a lot of really interesting things about white women's supposed fragility um, and their obsession with themselves and the obsession with the South in general. Hmm. Um, And how, to me, race was very, like, I noticed it automatically, even with having the absence of black characters. You do not need to have black characters for the presence of race to be apparent in the South. And, you know, part of that is my own perspective as someone who, whose family is from rural Louisiana. When I watched that film, I immediately noticed it was shot in Louisiana. So I chuckled hmm. when it said Virginia. I was like, that's not damn Virginia. That's, that's Southern Louisiana. It, it, was shot, it was shot in Louisiana? Mm-hmm. Shot huh, um, interesting. In, in, in and around New Orleans. Um, and... Where is it? I'm trying to look if there's a part of my piece that I could mention. But so like there's a point in The Beguiled where the character played by Elle Fanning is annoyed at tending to the yard. And I'm like, that is such a privileged white girl thing to not want to tend to these (laughs) these problems. And the fact that the yard is overgrown and that they're not wearing their hoop skirts and like certain details that I'm like, oh, they don't have slaves. Like you can automatically tell the the absence of black people in the movie has weight and ends up yes. having some very interesting and right, and, commentary. And like and think about right and think about just being able to look at it and say this is saying something by not saying something whereas I think a lot of critics just generally I mean critics who who don't know history or don't haven't didn't know the previous film or the previous book or whatever I mean that's like that's interesting to me. I mean that is just being able to say the omission of something or the absence of something is meaningful here. 
And I don't think she did that overtly. Do you think she did that overtly? No, I think that was an accident. I don't think, I, you know, but you can't scrub race out of the South. It's like impossible. I mean, part of what I say, I say in the piece um, that I wrote for Vulture, I say um, Cop- Coppola has accidentally created a film that acts as an indictment of the very brand of womanhood she's enamored with throughout her career, white, privileged, and unable to see the world beyond their own desires. And how I looked at the film was it's these women's versions of their own lives, which is like a warped version of, version of it. Of course, they're not going to have the slaves in their telling of the story. Of course, Coppola wouldn't. She just doesn't know how to handle that. And that's fine. I mean, I'm Oh, like look- she, like the meta level of it is like, mm-hmm. it's like her privilege to not have to deal with that storyline mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, and not for them <laughs> not to have to reckon with it. Like there's a moment where Nicole Kimmon's character towards the end is you know, very wistful about her past and imagining all the people who had come through the house and, and their full regalia and da 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 And I'm like, this is such... And she, Coppola doesn't realize it. I'm not sure anybody realized it when they were making it, but it's such an interesting emblem of white femininity and how it's regarded and upheld in this country and its obsession with itself and the South's obsession with itself and it ended up being commentary on that for me, even if Coppola wasn't aware of that. But again, I'm someone who believes that you can't look at a film solely through the supposed auteur of it because that's too narrow. Right. Right. It's not just like what it is or just who made it. It's like the sum of lots of parts. Yeah. There's a lot of things to analyze uh, with The Beguiled. I mean, I think it's a really interesting film and where it's placed in sort of the history of Southern Bells in film, which is one of my obsessions, um, which is a weird obsession to have as a black woman because Southern <laughs> Bells are, you know, terrible white women. So. Right. I mean, almost exclusively. Yeah, right? that's sort yeah. of the thing. <laughs> so you're obsessed with that, though. That's yeah, interesting. no, I find I, <laughs> I think it's important as a black woman to understand how white people, especially white women, work. Right. It's almost I agree. like a survival mechanism. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, all, I'm also personally trying to understand how white women work as a. Yeah, we all are. <laughs> so I mean, I, all right, I mean, so white listen. people in general. So yeah, no, seriously. Women. No, we're, we're, we're very, very confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so we got to wrap. But before we go. Oh, man, I wanted to talk about that mother trailer. Okay, let's talk about the mother trailer. Let's talk about the mother trailer because we did say we were going to talk about it. So let, yeah. me just pr- let me just set this up for anybody who doesn't know what mother is. So mother is. And tell me if I'm wrong. The new Darren Aronofsky movie, is that mm-hmm. right? Correct. It stars uh, Javier Bardem and uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes. Uh, and Ed, Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Yeah. Um, Don Hall Gleason is, has a part in it. Um, oh, yeah. He's the, is he the dude from Preacher? No, no. no this is the dude. God, who is this little redhead? Uh, he was an ex machina. He was a little red. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. little, but. Oh, the, he's the tall. He's actually yeah. really tall, isn't yeah, he? he? Yeah, he is tall, yeah. but I call okay. anyone I don't know little or kid, right. even though <laughs> not. Um, the very tall man from Ex he, Machina. He, yes, very tall, redheaded man. Um, yeah. And he, the movie's coming out actually next month. It's coming out very soon. And, you know, they released a trailer that is does not give people really any answers, but just sort of evokes whatever mood they're going for. I have a theory about this trailer. Okay, what's your theory? Well, wait, do you want to talk about it and then I'll tell you my theory? Sure. Um, I can't wait to watch Michelle Pfeiffer eat Jennifer 
I actually am not a good actress and don't have as much charisma as people like to say oh. Lawrence on screen. Because I am a huge Michelle Pfeiffer fan. Like that moment when she like steps up to Jennifer Lawrence in the trailer, I was like, kill her. Do it. So you're so you're not just a Michelle Pfeiffer fan, but you're a Jennifer Lawrence hater from what I'm I mean, I wouldn't say hater. Hater is such a strong word. I wouldn't describe myself as a hater of anything um, <laughs> but you're not a huge fan of jennifer lawrence no i think she i don't know she hmm, she's, she's a phony sucks is she a phony air. she sucks the air out of every scene she's in which always hmm. bothers me when actors aren't really giving partners with their fellow right. actors i find that sort of annoying i think she's charismatic but not charismatic enough to paper over her faults as an actor I don't know. I guess you haven't seen Passengers with Chris Pratt. Oh, I'm just God. kidding. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it. Have oh, you seen it? It's so strange. Is it, is it bad? It's strange. really bad. It's Interesting. also just like, who? <laughs> oh, God. I can't believe they let. Oh, God. I mean, I read the script ages ago when <laughs> Keanu Reeves and oh. Rachel McAdams were supposed to start in it. Yes. That's, that that been, I would watch just based on the casting I, alone. I would, too, because obviously I'm a Keanu fan. But uh, yeah. John Wick. You like John Wick? I love Pretty much everything Keanu's really? done, I have watched and studied and cherished very deeply. Hmm. What about, uh, I'm trying to think of a bad Keanu Reeves movie right now. Hold on. I probably like Just, it. Devil's Advocate. Still, oh my God, that movie's so, so like bad. It. It's so great. Wait, that's the one with Pacino. He plays the yes, devil, it's right? It's so ridiculous. Oh my <laughs> so God, good. I love it. No, I, it, saw that in, I saw that in the theater. Okay, oh let me just tell you. So, well, I was like... Young, I mean that movie came out. That's it was like a while old. ago. Yeah. yeah, I was like a uh, maybe I might have been a teen when that movie came out. That's a not a good movie though. I mean, I would never argue that it's a work of art. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a work of art. I mean, it is some but kind of work. It's definitely it a work. A, it's a work. Um, no, but I, I mean, I love Keanu as an actor, wow. which always throws people off because you know people know I write a lot about acting, and then when I mention Keanu, they're like. You know, do an impression of him saying "whoa" or some bullshit. Yeah, and that bad, like, you don't like that. You get no, that upset. No, I don't. You. And I'm like, huh. you know what? Like, I think you know. Right, what's his greatest role? What's Keanu's greatest role? Ooh, I can only pick one. Well, yeah, you got a top. You here's the here's the deal. Here's the deal. You're going to a desert island. You can Ugh. take one Blu-ray with you. Aww. One Keanu Blu-ray with you. What are you gonna take? Well, see, the thing is, if I. If I could only take one Keanu movie, I don't yeah. think I'd choose his best work. I'd choose the okay, one I have most choose? fun. Oh, no. What's I'm that? sorry. Asking me to choose one Keanu film is like asking me to choose which one of my cats I love more. It's impossible. Wow. Okay. Okay. So it wouldn't be Point Break is what you're saying. Although I do love Point Break. If it's a good, that's a good-ass movie. No, it's like a really good-ass movie. And I mean, people don't realize how good Point Break is. I mean, it's ridiculously good and also Amazing. ridiculous. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like, it's sublime. I love that I, movie. I didn't realize. I kind of forgot. that. Like, so Catherine Bigelow directed that, right? Like, mm -hmm. I sort of forgot that that was her film. Like, she did some really weird shit. Before she got kind of lame, because like, I do feel like her latest slate of films are very, like, Republican in a way. Um... I feel like she did some really weird stuff. And that movie was like maybe her peak. That might be peak Catherine Bigelow, honestly. Yeah. It's so. I think it I distills know. a lot of what she can be good at. Um, Certainly the one with most, the most Keanu in it. Yeah. So that, 
would mean it wins on my list because you know Keanu. Because <laughs> you love Keanu. Okay, love here's my mother. Here's my mother trailer okay. um, idea, and then so I don't I don't know what the film is about at all. No one. Knows. I don't know when the film is set. I believe. Here's my theory. Okay, it's a really. It's a very. I've only seen the trailer like twice. So okay, let's let's hear this. Okay. So I think Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer are older versions of the of Javier and um and Jennifer Lawrence. How? I don't how? know. That's just how I feel. I mean, that's just my feeling is cuz they're like she's like you have they have a photo of you in their bag and he's like why were you going through their bags or whatever in the trailer and I'm like, "Yeah, why would they have a photo?" And the photo looks kind of old like it looks kind of like a photo from like the 1800s or something. Oh, honey, I don't, I don't like, I saw someone mention that, and I could almost buy it with the whole Jennifer Lawrence, Michelle Pfeiffer end of it. It's the other end of it. You, that don't, I, think, no. you don't think he turns into Ed Harris? Yeah. <laughs> <Does that laughs> he gets happen? like, he gets like way scrawnier and way whiter. Yeah. yeah I guess like, that's like, that's, that's I don't know. Strange. You know, time, time can affect people in strange ways. All right. Apparently, dear Lord. I don't know. Um, I don't know, I don't know where it's going to go at all. I'm not even thinking about theories. I'm just sort of, it obviously seems like the kind of movie that really hinges upon its lead performance when it comes to Jennifer Lawrence. And I'm like, she's stacked against some really, really, really incredible actors. Actors who not only are as or more charismatic than she is, but they're also just very talented on a technical right. level. And she's not a, right. she's not good on a technical level. Michelle Pfeiffer's things. been kind of out of the mix for a while. Like she's yeah, in she, a movie, and because she really was like, okay, I'm gonna take care of my kids and my family, which I respect. Although <laughs> I was angry about it for a very long yeah. time. Because I've been no, she's waiting, amazing. waiting for Michelle to come back. Thank but you, Aaron Michelle. Aronofsky's kind of a he's kind of a wild card, don't you think? Like, what's the we'll last movie see. he did? Um, what did he do? Black Noah. Swan? No, Noah. Oh, Noah was bad, right? Noah that was like was really bad. So strange. I was like. Darren, what are you doing? Darren's sort I feel of, like strange is your code word for bad. No, I it's like not. In this it's, I mean, some of his choices are just like surreal in ways that I just don't understand where they're coming from. Um, right. And I love huh. some of Aronofsky's films. And then others, I'm just he did, like, he what did the, the fountain, fuck? right? I actually do the love fountain. The Fountain. Um, oh, really? Okay, yeah. wow. You're a serious contrarian. I like, I'm not a like, serious contrarian. There's actually some <laughs> hardcore The Fountain fans I've found in recent really? years. Not Maybe only you guys can me. Get a, okay. get a Facebook group going. Fans of the Fountain on I Facebook. Think that I mean, I think when it came out, it definitely was. Um, but it's one of those movies that I consider uh, that saved my life. I ended wow. up seeing okay. it uh, right before I was institutionalized for the second time when I was about 16 years old. Um, oh. So the memory of that movie really got me through some of the toughest times of my life. And I find it to be like a very beautiful moving film about grief. Um, so okay. for me, it's a very personal thing like that. See, movie, now you're, now you're making me think I need to reconsider the fountain. I feel like you've got, you're selling it actually. See, I'm good at this with all my, like my Keanu love, loving all this weird shit. <laughs> I can, I'm going to go home it. and watch the whole matrix trilogy right okay, now. Okay. I'm That's not saying plan. you need to do all that, but like, <laughs> um, okay. Listen, I'm, I, I, unfortunately like I've got to wrap up, but this is so fun. And I really super enjoyed this conversation. Like, I feel like we have so much stuff to talk about. 
you have to come back like after you anger a bunch of people with your next oh, you know made major scathing takedown of a of a film um which i know you did not intend to do because i know you were like you tweeted that and you're like i didn't think it was like scathing i was like no it was, i didn't say this but i was like no it's definitely scathing but like <laughs> anyhow you've got to come back and we have to talk about more stuff maybe after justice league comes <gasps> out Oh my god! I, know I can't you're believe that's a real movie that's coming out. It's How? gonna be so good. Aquaman Ugh. is gonna be like, hey. I mean, Jason Momoa is gonna be hot. I mean, that's like <laughs> sort of half my criteria in a superhero movie is, do I want to fuck any of these people? Yes or no? Wow, wow. And if it's no, and, then I'm like, oh well. All right, let's so let's go down the list. So Aquaman, that's a yes. Hell uh, yes. Uh, Batman. Hell no. Not played <laughs> by Ben Affleck. Hell no. Wonder no. Woman. Yes. Oh <laughs> uh, wait, who else? Uh, the Flash. No, he seems like though he'd be like cool to hang out with, but also maybe a little annoying. Ryan is Ryan is just grabbing his chest. I can see him from the booth. So yes, so Ryan, you would fuck the Flash. Is that what I'm hearing? In a Flash. Okay. <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah. Wait, who else is there? I'm Cyborg? Talking, yeah, no, I'm not fucking Cyborg. I'm actually. Is that, his, is that his name? Wait, is that his name? Yeah, is it, is that what Cyborg. It? Yeah. Okay. Right. That's a very unoriginal. I feel like they could have they gone a little bit further than that. They were like, yeah, Cyborg. Why not? Yeah, that worked. Uh, wait, who else is in the Justice League? Oh, I guess Superman. Superman. So the thing is, I think one of the best aspects of Zack Snyder's work on all these DC movies is that one, he let Henry Cavill keep his chest hair and two, that Henry Cavill has been shirtless at least a few minutes in all these films. And those are always my best parts. I think the best parts. Yeah, of it's, movies. So yeah, it's pretty Superman. It's kind of, it is definitely like, there's like, it gets a little bit porny around and Superman. It's like, it's beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, Zach. I always like kind of fall asleep, like watching these movies, but I saw Man of Steel with a friend of mine and he likes to make fun of my reaction <laughs> to Henry Cavill because holy shit, that dude, the chest I mean, hair spoke to my he's spirit. He's very good. He's very good looking, but I always confuse him with, um, uh, what's his name from 50 Shades of Grey? Ooh, uh, oh, no. Jamie Dornan. Really? Is that his name? I just like they're like interchangeable British studs. Like I feel like no, you could just put Jamie either one of them in does. in the Superman outfit, and it would just be like whatever. Oh no, I don't find Jamie Dornan attractive at all. Really? No. Well, you like Henry Cavill? Yeah. That's like confusing In and Out Burger with Carl's Jr. <laughs> so mad. Are they are they that different? Yeah. Right. Like for I mean, a lot of reasons. Wow. Okay. I don't know. I just feel like there's this like strapping British men. He's not just generally isn't strapping. To, I don't no, know. No, he got. Do you see Fifty Shades Darker? He got. I'm not he watching really that. Got cut. I okay, have, I've seen it several why? times. Because I love bad movies. Because they're like, okay, have you ever seen? I'm sorry, we're away on a down a rabbit hole here, but you've seen the Twilight films, I assume, right? Uh, like I think the first two. Okay, well, the first yeah. Twilight film is a work of art. Like, and I think that and no, I really, you're, Ryan's laughing at me right now, but just go back and watch the first Twilight movie because it is like a fucking art film. And I think that it, at least the first Fifty Shades of Grey has a very similar quality, which is interesting because the Fifty Shades of Grey book is based, it's like fan fiction based on yeah. Twilight. Yeah. The first film. It's a lot like the first Twilight movie, and maybe this is intentional, but they are kind of like pointless, and everybody seems like they're about to throw up in them. Like when you see people talking to each other, they look like they're just on the edge of puking. Like they're so nervous and turned on that they are going to throw up. That's it's kind awesome. of amazing. That's no, it's well, I don't know. That's how people, that's how some people react. You know, not nice. me. Vampires, apparently, and, and rich men, and rich and and the women that that love them. 
Um, okay, I think this is a great place to end this. Uh, Angelica, oh, thank right. you. Thank you so much for doing this. Sure. Uh, you have to you have to come back and uh, and everybody should read every word that you write on all of these different sites, but you're going to be, you're, you, sorry, you are a, you, this is sort of a new job though. You're a staff writer at mm-hmm. Vulture. You've been writing for them for a while. Two years. And are you going to have like a, is there like a column or is it just like, you're just going to be writing all the time? Or? I'm just writing all the time more than What's I the write next now. thing? What's um, the next thing you're writing for them? Uh, what is the next thing? I have a piece about the legacy of Orphan Black that's coming out. I have a piece that came out today about a certain scene in Insecure from last night that mm-hmm. got a lot of conversation about racial dynamics and sex, mm-hmm. uh, especially with stereotypes on black men's bodies. Um, I think that, what else do I have? Too much, too much. Uh, I have some interviews coming out. Yeah, I have okay. a piece about the what the loss of movie stars means for film going forward that I'm excited to see come out. What about Tom Cruise though? He's still a, is he still Tom a star? Tom Cruise, whatever, please. Sort wow, of. Really? I mean, you, that mummy are you movie dissing didn't. Tom Cruise? Mm, mm. The mummy looked bad. I didn't see it. That looked like but a real piece of shit. But it also underperformed. So it's like even he is kind of feeling the changes of the industry, at least on a domestic level. Well, he needs to shift to playing just evil characters first off because he's getting old. He needs to accept <laughs> that he's going to be the bad guy now. And I mean, Collateral is the last really. Yeah. No. I mean, the Mission Impossible movies are entertaining. Yeah, they are entertaining on some sort of level. <sighs> I love um, Tom Cruise. He's my Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise. Ah, uh, okay. That's, that's like that. I feel the same way about Tom that you feel about Keanu. I mean, do you though? I think so. I, think I mean, so. I'm pretty obsessed with Keanu like, Reeves. Like I'm pretty obsessed with Tom Cruise. Okay, so or as I like to call him, the cruise missile. Okay, see, I'm not doing all that. So but you don't I, even have a nickname. You don't have a nickname for Keanu. I no, don't think you're as dedicated. I just call him Keanu. But right now, I'm looking at my Keanu mug. I'm looking at a framed picture of Keanu, and I'm looking okay, at wow. a print of Keanu. Can all you on my desk. send me? Can you take a picture of that and send it to me? Because I really would like to see so this. So I this could is be made fun of. Not. No, it, it no, is real. I would never make fun of you for liking Keanu. Speaking of Keanu, and then we got to go. Yeah. Uh, have, did you see the film Keanu? Yes, I did. Did you like it? I actually reviewed it for uh, Roger Ebert. Actually, I uh, I thought it was cute. It was cute. Yes, yeah, it was cute. forgettable. It was yeah, you definitely. know, for a movie that mixes the two things I love, which is you know a Keanu Reeves reference, yeah, and cats because I'm obsessed with cats. Like you know, I thought it was okay. It wasn't Could've that memorable. Could have gone further. No Keanu Reeves uh, cameo either, no, as far as I know. You know, except for he voices the cat during that one weird, like. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm. That's the, like one part of the movie I remember. Also, I think my reaction to the idea that, like, oh, wow, Nia Long is in this. I love Nia Long. Wow, she's pretty much in a nothing role. That's upsetting. Mm, go figure. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave it there. Angelica, thank you so much. And uh, you've got to come back soon, okay? I will. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Bye. Bye. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back soon with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. But I've just been told that your family's been shot exclusively with Dutch angles in the sequel to Battlefield Earth.